Hi, Soul Sibling. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I want to talk about poetry. The poetry. Why I like poems, what poems mean to me, and share with you a powerful experience this last spring when a poem reached out and found me in my grief and had so many Easter eggs. Easter eggs can be those hidden gems that are tucked away in all kinds of writing and creative endeavors, the Easter egg. I was watching the HBO series called Euphoria. Well, they had a season one, and then the pandemic, and then they had two standalone episodes with two main characters in the interim before season two will probably launch sometime this year. And one of the standalone episodes takes us with our main character, one of the main characters, Rue, and that's played by Zendaya. And she's an addict, drugs, substance abuse issues. And in this standalone episode, she's in a diner Christmas Eve with her sponsor from AA. And this is, I guess, a monologue quote from this sponsor talking to this young addict and when I saw this episode it really reached through the screen and grabbed me and it provided quite a few chunks of insight and confirmation for my own recovery journey from drugs and so in honor of June 24th being my one of my commemoration days, six years clean and sober from crystal math, I wanted to start with this short little monologue, so I'm going to act it out for you. A real fucking revolution is, at its core, spiritual. It is a complete decimation of one's priorities, one's beliefs and way of living, and reconstruction in the spirit of... You have to create a new god or gods or whatever you can, but it is imperative that you believe in something greater than yourself. All right? I can't be the ocean or your favorite song, and I can't be the movement or the people or the words. You've got to believe in the poetry because everything else in your life will fail you, including yourself. You hear me? That's where you are. That's where you are, and you're sick. Your whole system is on the verge of collapse. So a revolution is at its core spiritual. That is so important. 
making a revolution, reconstructing one's life, transforming and surrendering. It's a spiritual, it's a spirit, it's a spiritual work. And I'm just such an advocate of this idea of, you know, amplifying spirituality in your life, turning up the volume on spirituality. We talk so much about becoming successful, about, you know, are you at a six-figure income, seven figures, you know, all this success in business and self-improvement. And I feel like the spiritual realm is neglected. And this spirituality sometimes is hard to measure. And so I know for me getting sober was this interconnected piece where I was able, I was given an opportunity to clean up because I was headed down a really disastrous track, which could have ended in death. It has for many others and including some people in my very deep personal life. And so in that process of being in connection and community and working suggested steps, I found a spiritual solution and I found an opportunity to do deep work to take responsibility. And in that was, you know, developing a relationship with gods or gods. You know, one of the foundations of Alcoholics Anonymous is to turn your life over to that higher power, that power greater than you. And, you know, everyone comes with God issues. It's, I mean, not everybody, but most people do and have trauma and baggage and developing a relationship with your understanding of God you as an individual. That's what I was invited to do. So I've got issues with turning my life over to God as I understood God. Well, I had to get a new understanding of God. I had to reconstruct in the spirit of a new God, a God that wasn't the Mormon God that I grew up with. And this is what the Mormon God believes. And I'm using that phrase Mormon God very loosely because that's the world in which I was taught and trained for 29 years of my life. And expanding God is a big part of what changed and gave me an opportunity. And I had to do some deep trauma work that I had in my own relationship with God. And the other part from this euphoria monologue is you've got to believe in the poetry because everything else in your life will fail you including yourself the poetry you know a lot of people believe that poetry is the the form because in poetry you're chunking down ideas into the smallest bits possible saying the least with the most punch I have this really awesome little book in my hand called Poetry as Insurgent Art by Ferlinghetti. And it's just a small, really cool size. And Jude gifted this book to me. Jude writes poetry. Jude is a poet. A lot of poets will say they're not poets. And I'm telling you, Jude is a poet. In fact, I think Jude and I, I think Jude is going to show up at my recital 
in September. End of September, I'm having a recital. You're invited. All the details will be coming. And I think Jude's going to perform a couple songs with me. I still have to see if I can get him on the program. So this book has some really great little tidbits. It's just small chunks, little bites of poetry related ideas. So here we go. If you, this is from the book, if you would be a poet, write living newspapers, be a reporter from outer space, filling dispatches to some supreme managing editor who believes in full disclosure and has a low tolerance for bullshit. Here's another appetizer from this book. If you would be a poet, experiment with all manner of poetics, erotic, broken grammars, ecstatic religions, heathen outpourings, speaking in tongues, bombast public speech, automatic scribblings, surrealist sensings, streams of consciousness, found sounds, rants and raves to create your own limbic, your own underlying voice, your you are voice. Here's the last one. If you call yourself a poet, don't just sit there. Poetry is not a sedentary occupation, not a take your seat practice. Stand up and let them have it. One of the suggestions that Jude gave to me um, was that I write poetry without any periods, commas, and to just go and to not let myself get caught up in any structure. And in fact, during that time, I had been inspired by Emily Dickinson and her envelope poems. And in those envelope poems, well, a bunch of envelopes and fragments were found and I started writing on envelopes. I've talked about it on the podcast before, and I just bring it up because what came out of me because I decided to stand up and do something to be in action is I just kept writing on these envelopes that I had, the backs and the fronts, and I tore them up into little fragments. And now I have this collection of poetry that I'm working on editing envelope poems. And I took a topic, which was HIV and AIDS and stigma. And it's so cool to see how that happened. So poetry is a blessed form. It inspires me deeply. I love to read poetry now. And I have spent the last few years really diving into a lot of poets. So I want to share with you today, um, this last part of the podcast episode, I want to share with you a poem that found me in my grief recently. The last couple months, I've been swimming in the deep end of grief, um, One of my dear friends, mentor, soul sibling, Charles Lynn Frost, also known as Sister Dottie S. Dixon, died in May. He was working with stage four colon cancer, and he was getting close to the doctors had told them there was nothing left to do for him and that he had very limited time within six to eight months. And he actually died uh, during a nap with his dog on his lap um, at home alone. And so I'm not really sure what the details are. Um, I did not go to the funeral. I was in New York with the Harveys at the time back east, and I made a decision to stay there. And I've been in the grief 
for a couple months. And in addition to that, my dad's been having some health issues and issues that have taken him to the ER and to the doctors. And um, he's doing okay and no major limitations from the recent acute issues. It's all part of a continued progression with his um, dementia. And um, so it's been a lot of grief for me. And when I was in New York, I was there with young Harvey Rose and I was coaxing her into bloom. Jay and Kenny and myself were also coaxing ourselves back into bloom. It was our first big get together. All of us had been in lockdown and being fully vaccinated. We reemerged together, spent three weeks and they live in a new house in New City, New York, which is west, an hour west, northwest of Manhattan Island. And well, of Manhattan, the island. And I don't know how to say that. New Yorkers, tell me. And when I was with her, I was able to stay focused on her. And it wasn't until the very last day when I was getting ready to depart. The hours were ticking five left, four and three. And the reason I knew because I was putting Harvey Rose down for her nap and then we were going to leave for the airport. That's when it started to become real to me because my sadness for saying bye to my little goddess daughter and to the Harvey husbands and heading home and Charles, my friend Charles. And a few days prior to this departure, I was reading early in the morning alone and I was reading Stanley Kunitz, poet. I was reading a book about his gardening and his last few months before he died and in this book he shared one of his poems called the layers and when I read the poem it was like serendipity it was lightning it was synchronicity it was Charles reaching down through the poetry encouraging me on so many levels I'll read the poem for you and then I'm going to dissect a few definitions, a question, and tell you a little bit about why it means so much to me. Here's the poem, Stanley Kunitz, The Layers. I have walked through many lives, some of them my own, and I am not who I was, though some principle of being abides from which I struggle not to stray. When I look behind, and I am compelled to look before I can gather strength to proceed on my journey, I see the milestones dwindling toward the horizon, and the slow fires trailing from the abandoned campsites over which scavenger angels wheel on heavy wings. Oh, I have made myself a tribe out of my true affections, and my tribe is scattered. How shall the heart be reconciled to its feast of losses? In a rising wind, the manic dust of my friends, those who fell along the way bitterly stings my face. Yet I turn, I turn, exulting somewhat with my will intact to go wherever I need to go. 
and every stone on the road precious to me. In my darkest night, when the moon was covered and I roamed through wreckage, a nimbus clouded voice directed me, live in the layers, not on the litter. Live in the layers, not on the litter. Though I lack the art to decipher it, no doubt the next chapter in my book of transformations is already written. I am not done with my changes. Right from the beginning of this poem, I have walked through many lives, it says. I can so relate to that. I feel like I'm approaching 48 next month, and I feel like I have several different lives that I have lived. Even when I look at my career, in my 20s, I was a professional server, then I moved into social work for a decade, and now I've been in online marketing and working as a digital marketing specialist for eight years now. It's crazy. What are my 50s going to be? Oh, I know. I'm going to be teaching you. I'm going to be watercoloring, making music, writing poems, touring the country, and then the world talking about viral mindfulness and teaching online with digital products through Viral Mindfulness Academy. In fact, while I'm speaking of it, you can head over to viralmindfulnessacademy.com right now. There's a brand new URL and a beginning starting landing page. If you're a returning student, you can log in right from there. And if you aren't a student, I still have free access. Not for long. It's going to be a charged offering. It will be going up to $45. This is called a guided meditation playlist. And it has a bunch of guided meditations from five to 18 minutes all in one place inside of my academy ready for you and it's still free so head over to viralmindfulnessacademy.com and you can see all the details it's very easy to find and of course if you head to viralmindfulness.com you can find academy there and click the link so either one will get you there. And notice in the browser icon up next to either of those landing pages or websites, you'll notice the Kingfisher bird is now my favicon. Favicon is spelt F-A-V-I-C-O-N or browser icon. It's the little image that's next to the name of the website or the page that you're on. It's to the left. It's the little icon up in the browser window, favicon. All right, back to the poem. In this first part as well, it talks about, here's, here it is, though some principle of being abides from which I struggle not to stray. More than ever, I notice that there is a principle of being within me. So within all these different lives that I've lived, in fact, for three decades, I was very LDS Mormon, very strong in my beliefs about God and the afterlife. And that has changed. I do not subscribe. I do not have those beliefs. My beliefs have changed. I have expanded and inverted, gone upside down, rolled over, and have an entirely different place. But there is this principle of being that abides within me. 
that is this same source or ground of being. And that's what I choose to stay attending to, to not stray far from that. And then, of course, the metaphor about abandoned campsites, you know, as I, in the poem, it talks about these abandoned campsites over which scavenger angels wheel on heavy wings. For me, it was just this metaphor like, wow, Charles is gone. I found this poem, you know, within the first week of him transitioning and his campsite is empty. The fire's still burning. It will go out soon. He's gone. And in the poem, this phrase, I have made myself a tribe out of my true affections. I realize now that my tribe, I have a tribe. Um, In fact, during this last couple months of grief and mourning, I've learned that grieving is an inward process and my mourning is an outward external activity. It's been interesting to see who has been here for me as friends who can take phone calls and to listen to my grief. And when I stopped to look at who was actually there in conversation in real time, giving me time and their attention in my grief, I was blown away that a majority of the people were queer, were from the LGBTQ community. And that is so inspiring to me because I have worked so hard to get to this point where I have my chosen tribe. So the one question in the poem, how shall the heart be reconciled to its feast of losses? So let me ask you that question. How will your heart be reconciled to its feast of losses? Are we not all in a giant feast of losses right now? I know it's true. And if you don't relate to that yet, let me just suggest that, you know, there's this opportunity to look at loss right now and say, oh, my loss wasn't bad enough. I didn't lose someone who died from COVID. I didn't lose my job. There are all kinds of losses that have happened and are still happening. In fact, some of the losses might finally be detectable in year two of this new COVID world. I know for me, this grief from Charles and my dad has activated all kinds of other things, memories and feelings and realities. So how will you reconcile to your feast of losses? Let me tell you one thing that I've done. I was blown away, actually. A couple weeks after getting home from New York, I couldn't believe how strong the grief was for me. I guess in my magical thinking mind, which is sometimes a propensity for me to draw from, I thought that maybe, you know, I was just climbing this mountain in a steady climb and that I wouldn't fall down the mountain with Charles's death, let's say. That's not true. I did. And I've been swimming in the deep end of grief and I know that it's important for me to not direct myself to what I think I should be experiencing and instead 
I will be gentle. I will surrender and accept what is happening for me. And I'm grieving and I am mourning and I'm aware of all of the loss collectively on this planet with this year and year two in full force. And what I chose to do was to focus on the basics. And I decided to draw from the wells. I have this other metaphor that helps me often, which is instead of running to some new helper or get a therapist or a new book and strategy, draw from the wells that I have drawn from. I have identified about six different practices that I have used over different decades in different significant events and pain in my life. And I drew three of them. And they all kind of had the letter M, movement, movement and exercise, music, time at the piano, and meditation. And I decided I had a holy trinity and I would do this for 90 days until September 24th. And I would do my best to meditate for 20 minutes timed sitting. I would sit at the piano and practice music. I have my recital list for September's recital and I'm working on the music and movement, exercise, yoga, paddle boarding, walks on the beach, running on the trail. I'm working to get to the gym and do some weight training. Haven't made it there yet. And I will draw from these three and it has made such a difference. And that's all. I do my work. I do my meals. I do the, the chores of the day. And then I do my three M's. That's how I've been choosing to reconcile with my feast of losses. A couple last ideas on this poem. Here it says, well, you know, the huge, I guess, climax of the poem really is this nimble, clouded voice that directs all of us live in the layers, not on the litter. So I looked up the definition of layers and litter. So living in the litter, there's a lot of trash out there. There's a lot of objects. Litter also means objects strewn or scattered about. Look at all the stuff scattered about planet Earth, from ideas to pollution to religion. There's so many religions strewn about. There's so many politics, politicians. Scattered rubbish is another definition for litter a condition of disorder or untidiness. So live in the layers, not the litter. So we're going to avoid the litter there. And then let's, let's expound the definition of layers. Something lying over or under something else. For example, when I was in my grief, I was struggling that there were some people who weren't there and I was surprised to be available to my grief and this idea of layers that there's something lying over or under that so if I get stuck on that litter oh why are you not here for me in my grave friend friends and if I focus on the layers oh there's something over or under that person or those friends it gives me all kinds of layers and part of what I realized it is that 
hey, this is a real hard time for a lot of us, all of us. We have this collective event that we all, every single person on that planet draws from. I don't think that has happened ever, this unprecedented event. Another definition of layers is ver- is um, to separate into or form layers. So if something becomes too focused, I can separate it into layers. All right, the final idea from the poem is that my book of transformations is already written and I am not done with my changes. And that's just really powerful to me because transforming, changing, reconstructing my life, being in recovery, uncovery, where I'm continually uncovering year after year. I'm not done with changes. I'm going to be learning till the day I die. And I, that is a huge value. It is important to me and I subscribe. I am learning. I want to stay open and flexible. There's one last idea from the poem that I didn't hit and I just want to share because it really kind of is in the middle of the poem and it's kind of this turning point. And in fact, this is what it says in the poem. It says, in a rising wind, the manic dust of my friends, those who fell along the way bitterly stings my face. Yet I turn, I turn, exulting somewhat with my will intact to go wherever I need to go. So I'll say this to you, turn, please turn, exult somewhat with your will intact to go wherever you need to go. Like sometimes all you have to do is just turn around because when you turn around, there's a whole 180 degree view that you're not looking at. And the word exult has a really fun definition of to leap, um, to leap even joyfully. And you don't necessarily need to be joyful, but you could leap and jump as in this verb of exulting. You could jump, leap. And if you can cultivate some joy, you know, joy isn't happiness. That's not what I'm saying. But joy tends to have a much deeper substantial meaning and with your will intact to go you know for me so often i'm learning that having my being having a willingness to go to turn to change to move forward wherever i need to go and i'm not the one who always knows where i need to go and in fact i am and have been in a state of grieving and mourning in the heat of summer. And I'm trusting this process. And so from my heart to your earbuds, may you have the courage to reconcile your feast of losses and may you turn, turn and leap joyfully. (laughs) May you leap and be willing to go wherever you need to go. That's it for today's podcast. I will see you next time. My guided meditation playlist is still available for free only for a limited time. 
Get instant access now at viralmindfulnessacademy.com. Come meditate with me. Let's make sit happen.